This is episode 15 with Mindy Bickle. What, what? Welcome to the Capitalize on Your Idea podcast, helping you take any idea and making it a reality. Here's the man who did it and now teaches it, Justin Escar. What's up, everybody? I hope everyone's having a great, great day and a great week. Happy summer. It's so nice to be warm here on the East Coast. Um, Today's a special day. It's the 23rd of June, and it's Virtual Computer Anniversary. That's right. Six years ago, I started my own consulting company doing Apple Consulting in Manhattan. Since then, I've grown with Autrieve and NYC Truck Food and Email Phoenix and now Appitalize. And it all started with this one company six years ago. So happy birthday, Virtual Computers. Uh, pretty much that's a woo to me more than anything else. Today's episode, great episode. We have Mindy Bickle on today. She works actually at the United States Patent and Trademark Office, but she works in New York with a partnership with Cornell. They opened up a school in the city called Cornell Tech and they're partnering with the USPTO, and she's there to help entrepreneurs get through that barrier to entry with getting their patents done and getting information. And uh, it's a great interview. We talk a lot about how the USPTO really wants to educate entrepreneurs and idea creators on what to do and how to get done, how to get their patents done so they can get approved, because it is a very tricky process. And yes, a couple episodes ago, we had uh, David Postalski, who was a IP lawyer who would be someone you want to hire to get through, but this is from the inside. Like This is how they do their process, and some really interesting stuff. So take a listen to this interview with Mindy Bickle. What's up, everybody? I'm here today with uh, Mindy Bickle with the longest title ever, Innovation and Outreach Coordinator for the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office for the Greater New York Region. Mindy, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks, Justin. Uh, Thanks for being here. Sure. So um, you have by far, I think, the longest title that we've ever had on the show. What exactly is it that you do? Uh, Well, I have a long title because I have a lot of different things that I do. But um, essentially, in 2012, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office partnered with Cornell Tech, which is a new type of university. It is part of Cornell University and is located in New York City. Uh, Cornell Tech's job or or mission is to break down the barriers between innovation and entrepreneurship or commercialism. And the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office partnered to station uh, an employee of the PTO on the Cornell Tech campus to assist in that barrier-breaking, so to speak, but not just for students of Cornell Tech, but for the entire New York region. So that's why we're here. And what I do really varies day to day, but essentially I'm doing educational programming or outreach or connecting with potential patent or trademark applicants, um, intellectual property professionals like patent or trademark attorneys, Uh, ordinary citizens, students, I do some school programming, um, and I try to make connections with other federal or state or local government agencies so that when I'm interfacing with entrepreneurs or small business people, I have knowledge of other government resources at all those different levels 
that could be of value or assistance to those small business people. Wow, that sounds like a lot to take on. It is. That's why I have a long you... title. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so Cornell teams up with the U.S. Postal Service and they're and they're trying to break down these barriers for entrepreneurs to get into business to get their products out there, which is totally what Appitalize is all about, which is why you're here to talk about um, these barriers. And we kind of I want to kind of touch on a little bit about how the the, the USPTO works. Um, now we've had David Postalski on as a as a patent and trademark attorney a couple episodes ago, and he explained like the process for getting everything done. But like, what's the process from your side of things? If if someone has an idea and they want to patent it, and they go to their attorney or they go to legal zoom or something like that, what happens from the USPTO's side to either allow or disallow this patent? I'm going to actually back up from even before that, although you didn't ask me to, but okay. um, <laughs> we really str- we strongly suggest that before you go to your to an attorney, before you go to LegalZoom, before you make any of those decisions, truly educate yourself on the patent or trademark process by going to our website, which is www.uspto for patent and trademark, uspto.gov. We have tutorials, videos, brochures, downloadable booklets, um, all kinds of resources on our website so that you have a, an understanding of the language that you're going to hear from your attorney before you go there. We also have a list of registered patent attorneys on our website. Those attorneys or agents actually have to stay in good standing with the office in order to keep their registration number. So you can have some sense of confidence that you are going to be working with someone who understands the process and will be able to really help shepherd your application huh. through it. I didn't know That's, that. That's interesting. Yes. So we have a lot of resources, and, and uh, to borrow a phrase from a, a now-defunct uh, clothing store, an educated consumer, consumer really is the best customer, and uh, that, that goes here, too. So uh, just to, was that, uh, again, was that quote trademarked? It probably was, so them. forgive <laughs> me for, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it is, it, it probably is trademarked, but it, it's, it's true. Uh, I, I think... The best protection that any of us have as consumers, no matter what it is that we're purchasing, is to have at least a basic understanding. You, it's harder for somebody to hoodwink you if you know uh, to some extent what they're talking about. So, so I would encourage people to not only do that, but uh, frankly, we give educational programs in New York City. I do a lot of workshops, evening workshops. In fact, uh, I have one coming up next Wednesday night at the Cornell Tech Campus. All of the programs or most of the programs that we do are free to the public or have a nominal charge associated. And so you can get your questions answered. We frequently invite attorneys as panel members. David Polstolsky has done that for us. So um, you can get a lot of education before you even walk into that attorney's office and uh, remember that once you, you start working with your attorney, you're paying them for their time. So the more okay. you understand before you get there, the better off you are for many reasons. Okay. So, so you said you said, wait, you said next Wednesday, just for timing with the podcast, for anyone who's listening, uh, that would have been, that would be June 25th. June 25th, uh, uh-huh. 
2014. Um, so in case you're listening to it late, I'm sorry you missed it. <laughs> that's correct. But um, at the end, I'll give an email address, and uh, we will have some more programming coming up in September, October, and um, on into uh, what is for us our next fiscal year, which starts October 1st. So there will be other opportunities, and you can find out about that. Um, but back to the question that you asked, which is what happens once the application is filed? I'm going to really talk from the patent side of things, which is um, we uh, we um, we have the job of administering the law, the, the rules, regulations with respect to patent examination. And so we pick up your application and we review it with respect to those laws. So we look at it to see, is the invention novel? Is it uh, what we call non-obvious? Is it sufficiently distinct from inventions that have come before and are already known? Um, for a utility patent, there's of course more than one type of patent, but for a utility patent, does is it is it useful? D does it have a function? Uh, does it function as uh, as uh, it's suggested to function? So we look at, at the application from all of that, uh, the perspective of all of those things, and if we feel that the application complies with all of the rules and regulations, we send out what we would call a first action allowance. And so the first time you hear from us, you would be hearing that your application is allowable and you would you will be getting getting a patent. And we do that approximately 14% of the time. The statistics might have changed a little bit, but it's not not that often. Uh, the majority of the time, what we send out as a first action is a communication saying uh, your application uh, is deficient in the following ways with respect to those rules and regulations. And here's here's specifically how it's deficient. And sometimes when we can, we include suggestions on how that deficiency can be corrected. And then you get an opportunity to respond to us in a communication and you can either uh, supply arguments about why we're incorrect in, in stating that, you can uh, provide evidence, you can change your application to uh, be in compliance in the way that we've suggested. Um, so you can, there's many options that you have. You send back uh, a communication. And by the way, uh, you can also contact the examiner and say, I don't really understand. Can we have a conversation about this? And uh, that's a pretty frequent occurrence. Uh, if, you, if you have an attorney representing you, then of course um, you would be uh, working with your attorney. The attorney is the one who speaks to the examiner, not you directly. Uh, and uh, then we take a second look after we get a response from you and determine whether it's now in compliance and uh, condition for allowance and we, we then allow the case. Uh, and if we determine that it's still not, then we explain again why not. And at that point, it's likely that we would close prosecution um, and issue an office action that we uh, call a final action. And uh, what the applicant can do after a final action is fairly limited. Uh, but then there's also an appeal process um, that the applicant can go through. And if that's not successful inside the office, then the applicant can go to court all the way up to the Supreme Court. So that's kind of, uh, in a nutshell, how things work. That's a really that's a really big nutshell. So, <laughs> all right. So let's break this down a little bit. So, someone 
someone who has a lawyer, because most people don't do patents on their own, right? They would get a lawyer um, to do That's this correct. on top most of their own education. Okay. So um, your lawyer sends in the, the patent paperwork. Now, you said that someone's there to review it. Who is reviewing it? So your application would be assigned to a patent examiner, and our patent examiners all specialize in different technology areas. So if your invention, for example, uh, has to do with biotechnology, you might have gotten somebody like me. I started 25 years ago in the office as a patent examiner in biotechnology. Um, if, your, uh, if your invention has to do with um, some sort of textile, you would have gone to, uh, your application would be assigned to an examiner who has expertise in that area. Uh, software applications are examined by uh, examiners who have electrical engineering uh, backgrounds or computer science backgrounds. So um, your application would go to an area that we would, we would refer to as uh, the place where it is best examined, meaning the examiner has expertise in that field. So these people, these examiners are actually, they're, they're not just patent uh, people just the review, but they actually have a skill set in something else, and then they're doing the patent based on their skill set. Right. So um, if I understand what you're asking correctly, um, so basically we hire scientists and engineers to be patent examiners because right, right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. it's easier for us to teach the patent, to teach the scientist or engineer patent examination law than it is for us to take somebody who knows the law and teach them science or engineering. Right. So that's how we that's how we do our hiring, and then we put them through a pretty extensive training program to really help them understand what patent laws are, what the rules are, what the regulations are, how to go through that patent examination process. And they apprentice essentially with somebody who's got experience as a patent examiner in that field for a number of years before they're sort of set free and allowed to examine completely on their own. So how many examiners are there right now? You know, I don't know the exact number, but I the last time I heard a number, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 8,000, some a really large number. Um, I hope that's correct because I haven't checked it, and one of your listeners might check it and say, no, that's not correct. But uh, uh, that's, don't, We don't even have a corrections department, so it's fine. Okay, we'll great. 8,000 8, sounds good. We'll go with yeah, it's, it, we have a lot of examiners. I can tell you right. that. It's more than it's more than three, and it's less than a million. That's correct. <laughs> okay, there we go. We'll just fit it right in there. Um, so there are as uh, anyone who's listened, uh, and hopefully has listened to the other um, patent episodes, we've discussed that there's uh, three types of patents, right? There's utility, design, and the other one is I'm blanking. Plant. Um, plant. Plant. So plant is actually for plants. And That's correct. Plants such. like things so, that okay, grow. So, yeah. Right. So, so most people don't do a lot of plant patents that would be in our listenership and Appleize, unless you guys have an idea for a new type of tomato. Um, most people would be doing, I guess, design or utility patents, and I'm assuming that's, that's the, mo the most you see. Okay. 
that's the most we see. We have a very small plant group. Um, they're sort of interesting when you look at them. In fact, um, our campus in Alexandria, uh, a lot of the plants that are in sort of the center of our quad have little plaques that have the patent number for that plant species. So it's sort of like a living museum to plant okay. patents in a way. How come the plant got its own thing? Um, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, some reason, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But now they I'm going to ask you another question. It. I'm going to ask you another question, which you're probably not going to want to answer. Has someone patented marijuana? Um, you know, I don't know the answer. So um, it would have to be a sort of a new species of it. It can't be a naturally, it, no matter what the plant is, it's not one that's just found in nature. So you right. you wouldn't just go, uh, you know, pluck an oak tree out of your yard that has been growing there for maybe hundreds of years and try to patent that. It's things that um, I think they're, I don't know a lot about plant patents, so, but but, but I believe they're <laughs> hybrids or, you know, things that, remember when back in the day, farmers used to sort of make hybrids and try to grow uh, better characteristics of plants, that kind of thing. Right. They're not just the ones found in nature. They covered it on The Simpsons uh, that Homer made a tomato that he crossbred with tobacco, and he called it a tomacco. Oh, uh, there you go. I'm sorry so I missed that he one. Have, yeah. He could have. I mean, now that I watched The Simpsons in the last uh, 20 years, but he he could have patented it out. All right, so let's get back on track yeah. with, the, with the patent most people care about, which is the design and the utility patent. Um, who goes for what? What's what's the what's like the denoun the the delimiter between a design and a patent? It's an interesting question. Now, I would say most people, when they think of a patent, they think of a utility patent, and when they think of patenting their invention, they think of going the utility patent route. Um, and what I would when I give a workshop, what I tell people or I suggest to people is that they really think about every possible way they can protect their invention. So if they could also use a design patent, uh, they might really want to think about that. As we, we've seen in the news with the Apple and Samsung case, design patents are becoming um, increasingly used. In fact, I'm going to quote a statistic that I, I wish I'd reviewed this one also because I'm not positive, but um, design patents in sort of the last, I think, four years have increased. The filings have increased by some, something like 37%, whereas utility filings have only increased by 23%. So that's pretty significant. Design patents seem to be sort of increasingly in the vernacular for people. But then there's a lot of people who don't even realize that they could. I was talking with an inventor one day who's developed something, and then he started describing to me how it would be in something that looks like a watch case. And, and I said to him, have you thought about a design patent? And he didn't even know what a design patent was, which many people don't. So, you know, if you if you are thinking about your invention and you start describing that the, the appearance of it is really important, the way it looks in space, um, or if you have an app or something, um, the, the apps uh, or the, the arrangement on the screen, the, the, the GUI, so to speak, you might really want to look into a design patent for yourself also. Because if you leave a hole in your protection and you have something that is valuable, you know, somebody might come along and want to get a piece of your action uh, through 
uh, capitalizing on something that you haven't protected for yourself. So um, we have something on our website called the IP Awareness Assessment Tool, and you can get to that right on our homepage. But if if you there's a there's a an icon for it. But if you if you can't find that, if you just in our in the search box on the USPTO.gov website, type IP Awareness Assessment Tool, you get to this self survey that has that takes you through a series of questions that at the end will suggest to you what type of intellectual property you might want to consider that uh, because you've answered uh, about what you're basing your business on. So it might tell you, think about a utility patent and a design patent and a trademark, or it might tell you a trade secret or something like that. It's a very useful tool, and if you're not sure which type of patent is for you or if any type of patent is for you at all, that might be a, a starting place. So anyone who's on, and I'll have links in the show notes, but anyone who's on the USPTO.gov, if you look on the bottom left, there's an icon that looks to be like a monkey wrench, um, and that's the uh, the IP awareness assessment tool. It's really that's really a, an interesting tool that you guys have to like help people. Because again, this is going back to what you said at the beginning. It's all about education. This Correct. is a good way to educate yourself. Hey, maybe there is something that you're missing. Maybe you should be trademarking this, and maybe this should be a trade secret, not trademark. Right. Um, and you said something. You said trade secret. I want to just share with people who don't know. A trade secret is like the Coca-Cola formula. It's a trade secret, which means it's not patented. The government doesn't have – they don't have protection by the government for having it. It's something that they use that no one else knows, hence it's a secret. If you go and, and you have a concept and you want to you want to have this secret, as soon as you apply for a patent or a trademark or anything, you have to divulge all those secrets to the government, which means it becomes public uh, – aware. it's publicly aware, and, and then other people get to find out what – that secret is. So um, there's a big difference between trademark and trade secrets. So uh, Lydia, I, wanna, I know we're, we have a little bit, just a little bit more time, but I have, I have one question that I want to talk about, um, and this is something that's really big, especially in the capital, in the capitalizing world, especially with apps and software, is um, the the issue when it comes to what we uh, famously call patent trolls. These companies that have patents on these items and someone else comes up with this brilliant thing because they've never seen it in production and they go to make it and then these companies out of nowhere say, nope, we have a patent on this and like try to take them for all their money. What, what's happening there and like what, if you can speak about it and if you can't, that's fine. Um, what is happening with that whole thing and, and what, what's the problem that people are running into and, and what's the, the USPTO doing Right, you know, it's it is a really big problem, and and it's something that uh, is of concern to the administration. Um, while we're talking, I'm actually trying to find if it, uh, going back to our our website, the USPTO.gov, right in the center under the rotating picture, there's something that says patent litigation online toolkit. And if you click on that, it takes you to a beta page that's sort of right on topic with this. So, you know, patent, another name for patent trolls is non-practicing entities. And um, there's, there's a lot of controversy around it and, uh, and a lot of concern because, of course, the administration um, doesn't want businesses to be put out of business um, due to some bad actor. Um, 
And I, I'm not going to go too in depth, but uh, you know, the scary thing for small businesses is they get a letter sometimes from uh, someone who says they have a patent that covers uh, what that business is doing and that that business is infringing, and that may or may not be correct. So some of the really bad actors um, just send letters and and may or may not have a patent that really does cover what that business does, but tries to scare or bully the business. Um, so, so we, uh, in answer to uh, one of the White House initiatives, we developed this uh, uh, website that has some answers regarding this abusive patent litigation. And that is the real concern for the administration. So as you can see, um, there are some icons. If you go to that page, um, you can click on an icon uh, that says, I've been sued, and, and it, it gives you some information about what happens, what to do, what you can do, what your rights are, what things mean. Uh, or you got a letter from one of those non-practicing entities. Or you can look up related lawsuits. Um, there's information about patent infringement, what that really is, what it isn't, helping you understand that. Uh, and then a really useful set of resources and a glossary of terms. So um, I think there's a lot of great information on there. It's a big concern. Um, I know there's been efforts in Congress to uh, pass some legislation in this arena uh, that didn't happen in this uh, Congress. And I suspect that there might be efforts again, so we'll all have to stay tuned. But it is something that is very much on the radar for the administration. And I'm on this site right now, the the beta site for for litigation, and this looks very interesting. Like, it you know, a lot of people just roll over when they get those kind of letters, and, right. and it looks like this site really can help. Um, obviously, if you ever get anything, call your lawyer. But as I think the what's going to be the topic of this entire conversation is education. Educate yourself on this website and go to this go to the I've been sued or I got a letter. Um, button and and read up on, on what you can do and you know I always say don't let you know don't let yourself get beat up there's always a way there's always something just because someone says you can't do this doesn't this I mean short of short of a federal law there's usually like there's usually a reason you can do it especially if it's a new idea because um, the way you the way you describe them as non-practicing entities and what everyone else calls patent trolls they forget that. A, that a patent troll is a non-practicing entity. And what a non-practicing entity is, is exactly what it sounds like. It's a company that doesn't exist, that's not producing something, that just has this patent, and they have it just for the sake of having it, um, as opposed to someone who has a patent and is actually producing a product that is hopefully better, like making the world a little, a little bit better, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that, that – uh, you know, one of the messages we want to get is get across to people is okay. So uh, take a deep breath and educate yourself on what that means and what it is and what's happening and what your options are. And uh, understand that you may have more options than you think. Uh, certainly, our our website, uh, this that I've referred people to on patent litigation. Uh, has a lot of information. Uh, you can educate yourself there. As you mentioned, uh, if if they have a lawyer, talk to their lawyer. If they don't have a lawyer, they can seek out a lawyer uh, and and find out uh, you know what their options are at that point because they may have more options than they think. So right. don't panic. 
don't panic. Uh, and what's that line from Hitchhiker's Guide? Don't panic and always carry your collar. Right. Uh, or keep calm and carry on. Keep calm yeah. and carry on. The one from London. Right? Uh, Mindy, yeah. thanks so much for, for being here and, and, and showing this. And this is a – the USPTO government uh, – USPTO.gov website is, is very in-depth and it has a lot of information. There's even, I see, a section for kids. So for those who are a little – Shaken up about all this terminology. Go to the kids section and 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 read up on there. Um, but there's a lot of stuff here, and I think a lot of people need to know about this site and just keep reading on it. Yeah, um, we so, have a lot uh, more resources on there that um, we didn't even touch on. So, um, you know, th there's there's just so much on our website that you can really um, benefit from, and and I just encourage people to really. Uh, go Did there. you guys just recently redo this website? I remember it looking different like a week ago. Or maybe I, I was in a separate section. I don't think so, but that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> we might oh, have. You know no, because I, I was doing some searching for um, patents and trademarks for some of my own things. So I was only in the oh. search section. That's why. For those who are paying okay. attention, David Potofsky is my lawyer. That's why I talk to, talk a lot about him now. Um, but oh, okay. uh, <laughs> we just we just signed our paperwork like a week ago, so that's why I can say now. Um, and he was showing me some of the stuff on the on the website because we're trying to patent some of my own things. Um, sure. but that's why I thought this website looked different. But it, that's just me. The corrections department will tell me I'm, I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> So thanks, Mindy. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, other than the USPTO, do you have any other online resources that people can reach you at? Uh, I don't know if you have like a Twitter account or an email or something. Um, so you know what? It, so so USPTO does tweet, but so it's not just just my initiative. Um, sometimes you will see things on uh, our Twitter account with regard to our events. I, I have to admit, I'm not sure. Um, what the Twitter account is. We do have a Facebook page, which is um, U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Uh, a lot of people follow that. We do announce our programs, the New York-based programs on that. Um, we also have an email box just for this initiative that's a shared email box. So uh, if I'm not available, one of the people that work with me can answer it. It's a long name, which is Innovation and Outreach Coordinator, New York. And uh, at USPTO.gov. And so uh, if people send things to uh, us uh, or to um, Innovation Outreach Coordinator NY at USPTO.gov questions or if you want us to want to make sure we let you know when we have free workshops in this region, uh, just send an email to that uh, mailbox and somebody will respond. Again, it's Innovation Outreach Coordinator NY and that no spaces or underscores in that at USPTO.gov. Alright, and we'll definitely have that in the show notes. Uh, Mindy, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, you're so welcome. What I tell you guys, right? Mindy teaches about the education of patents and, and is a great interview and I'm so happy to have her on. And I know I kind of busted her chops a little bit about um, the patent trolls and the in the plant patents and such like that but it's a really it's really interesting what they're doing with Cornell and they have these great programs and we'll post them as soon as we get them from her um, and we'll put them up on our website so you guys if you're in New York City you can go check out some of those programs otherwise check out the USPTO.gov website 
There's all this education that's on there, and we'll have all those links in the show notes. So thanks so much for listening. Guys, keep sending me those emails. I love reading them. I love seeing the reviews online. Um, I want to help as many of you guys as possible. I'm trying to put together like a live chat kind of interview slash ask questions, get answers on the phone kind of thing. Uh, I'm working on that, so hopefully that'll come up in the next like month or so. And uh, if for anyone who's going to be in Las Vegas for the South by Southwest Venture to Venture event coming up in July, I'll be down there um, mentoring on, I think it's Wednesday afternoon. Uh, plus, I'll have the microphone down there, so we'll do some interviews down there. So come find me out there. Again, that's the South by Southwest will in Vegas. Uh, it's at the Cosmopolitan. It's a great hotel. And uh, come check that out. So until next time, you guys, keep appetizing, keep coming up with great ideas, and I will talk to you soon.